Will you take your Bibles and turn to Luke 24? Luke 24. Jared, is everything set? Is the microphone working good? Thank you. Luke 24, I want to bring a message today, my dear brothers and sisters in the Lord, on the day that he was taken up. Luke 24. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, asking him to use his word in our hearts. Let's all pray. Father, as we come to your word now, we ask that we would humble ourselves before it, that we would worship you now. We would individually choose to worship you by hearing what you say and committing ourselves to do what you have said. We ask for that. We ask for your help to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Back in the days when kids attended school, classes would resume in the fall. And I, by my memory, and especially when it comes to math class, it seemed that whenever you got back to school, your math class would always be reviewing what you had learned the previous year. And sometimes I thought that was a waste of time, but I understand why the math teacher did that. When you have a subject like math, math builds upon itself. So you have to know what came before if you're going to continue on. Well, last year's math many times is fuzzy, and all of a sudden that teacher is trying to make it clear so he can move forward. In a similar fashion, the disciples of Jesus Christ needed instruction before Jesus returned to heaven. He had died and rose again. And that sequence of events had taken a toll on his followers. That wasn't easy for them. It was difficult for them. And in our study through this time of coronavirus, we have been trying to string together the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus Christ. And those appearances have shown us how Jesus related to people on an individual level and on more of a group level. For example, Jesus met with Peter privately. We don't know anything about that exchange. But then he recommissioned Peter in the presence of all the disciples. We know about that. We studied that together. So not only did Jesus appear again and again, but he did so for different different reasons. At times he appeared just to show that he was alive. He encouraged his followers to look at his hands, put put their hands on his hands and in his side to see that he was not a spirit but a real flesh and bone person. He was resurrected. At other times, he was appearing to them to recommission them, as he did with Peter. At other times, his purpose was more general because his audience was a broader audience. And I bring all that up because I think we fail to appreciate the dynamic that took place in those 40 days between Jesus' resurrection and his ascension. We We may not have even realized that Jesus appeared in other places besides Jerusalem. He was all the way north in Galilee, about 75 miles north of Jerusalem. So Jesus appeared over a a course of time in, in different places, and all with specific purposes, because he knew his followers needed to develop in their understandings of what they'd actually witnessed and what it meant for their lives as the time went forward. So today... Let's consider Jesus' last words to his disciples on the day that he was taken up. We're going to find that in Luke 24. And it's in these words that we find out exactly what he desires for his followers going forward. Three simple points this morning, and I tried to make them simple given that we have all the ages here today. We find this morning Christ's words, Christ's witnesses, and Christ's worship. 
Let's begin with Christ's words. We find this in verses 44 and 45. Your Bible say in verse 44, Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. And then the rest of the verse summarizes what those words were. They were Scripture. Everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So here's the dynamic. What Jesus said pointed to the Scriptures. And what the Scriptures said pointed to Christ. Jesus shows that the Scriptures pointed to him. All these scriptures about Christ must be fulfilled, and he told them that. He'd already explained to them from every portion of the Old Testament how it pointed to him. And as we read through the book of Acts and the epistles, we come to understand the connection between Christ and the Old Testament. We learn what the disciples learned. So as you study what Peter said and what Stephen said, what Paul preached in the book of Acts, you see them make connections between the Old Testament and Jesus Christ. That's not to say that every Old Testament passage is about Jesus, not every single one of them. For example, some of them are about God the Father. Some of them are about God the Spirit. But sprinkled through the law, the prophets, and the Psalms are references to Jesus Christ. Now, what does that matter to you and me practically? Well, it sharpens our expectations when we open our Bibles. You see, the common approach to Scripture is to look at Scripture as a guidebook or a personal blessings book. The Bible is about how how God will bless me. It's all about me. But what we find is the Bible points to Him. And we need to approach Scripture with that mindset. When we read it, we need to expect to find Him. Because it's about Him. Scripture is about Jesus. Not only must they be fulfilled, but they need to be understood. And Jesus caused them to see that. Look at verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. Now, we might have thought, well, Jesus already told them the Scriptures, so they understood because they heard. But there's a difference between hearing something and understanding something. We know that from our child's education. Children hear lots of things their teacher says, and sometimes they can even repeat what your teacher says. But that doesn't exactly mean that they understand what the teacher is saying. But God is so gracious to cause his disciples to understand the scriptures. And let me pause there to say this is one of God's good and gracious blessings to us. The fact that you and I get it when we read God's word is a wonderful blessing. Because not everyone gets it when they open God's Word. We may glaze over this blessing just as we glaze over the blessing of having three square meals a day for as far back as we can remember. We have to appreciate how God, since the day that He made us alive, has taught us more and more and more about ourselves. And if you can imagine with me looking through a camera as you focus the lens, so it is that our lives and our perceptions are fuzzy, but God over time has continued to focus and focus and focus our understandings on him. And one day, it'll be crystal clear when we see him. What a wonderful thing he does to cause his disciples to understand. He causes us to understand. 
You see, he wants us to understand that the Scriptures points to him. That's his word. Now let's go to his witness, verses 46 through 49. Not only Christ's words, but his witness. This is where we find that Christ commanded his disciples to be witnesses for him. What's a witness? A witness is a person who testifies to the truth. You say, what did the disciples witness? Jesus had died and rose again. They were eyewitnesses of that. Look at verse 46. He said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Verse 48, You are witness of these things. Those things were obviously the most significant events that the disciples witnessed. But do you understand why those are the most significant events? Why Jesus would bring up those events? Because it's different from Jesus bringing up the fact that he calmed the storm or that he taught the multitudes. Those historical events are the content of the gospel that tells how sinful man may be forgiven of all of his sins. That's why he brings those events up. That they were witness of those significant events. And now he wants them to proclaim God's salvation to everyone everywhere. Look at verse 47. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins is to be preached. And they could do that because they would be empowered to do that. Where would they get the power? Well, God would send his spirit. Look at verse 49. Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. Stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. There's our geographical reference. They are in Jerusalem. They're meeting with Jesus. They're in Jerusalem. And he tells them, stay in the city until the Spirit would come. And they obeyed what Jesus told them, as Acts 1-4 tells us. And God the Spirit would be sent. We know that all the way back to John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. Jesus said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. So on the night of Jesus' death, he made that promise that the Father would send the Spirit. And then Jesus says it again in Acts 1.8, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the, world, end of the earth. You say, well, what are they going to say when they witness for him? Or we might say this, how do you and I witness for Jesus Christ? How do we do that? What we do is proclaim the forgiveness of sins by repentance through Jesus Christ alone. We proclaim the forgiveness of sins through Christ. And we have examples of the disciples doing this. So as you look in the book of Acts, chapter 10, Peter says this, To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Acts 10.43. You flip forward to Acts 26.17.18. This is where Paul is speaking. He says that Jesus was sending him, I am sending you to open their eyes so that they would turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, and that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. You see, when we proclaim the gospel, we are proclaiming the forgiveness of sins through Christ alone. We are calling people to repent. That is exactly what the disciples and followers of Christ did. And by the Spirit's power, they would fulfill the Scriptures. This may be a detail that you didn't catch the first time. 
Look at verse 46. And he said to them, thus it is written, that. And what comes following, we've heard many times, Christ would suffer and rise again. But notice the first words of verse 47. And that. You see, what was written was not only what would happen to Jesus, but what was written was also the proclamation of the significance of what he did. You will be my witnesses. So by the Spirit's power, Jesus performed his ministry, and by the Spirit's power, we will be his witnesses. And Jesus wants, to understand this, wants us to understand the scriptures that they point to him, and here we see that he wants us to be witnesses for him. His words and his witnesses, finally we come to his worship, Christ's worship. Jesus left his disciples as we find in verses 50 through 53. And here's the scene change from Jerusalem to the Mount of Olives. You see it in verse 50. He led them out, out of Jerusalem, out of the city, as far as Bethany. And from Acts 1, we know that they were at the Mount of Olives because they returned from there. That's where he ascended. What happened when they were there on the Mount of Olives, out of the city? Well, Jesus blessed his disciples as he left them. Look at verse 51. While he blessed them, I should say at the end of verse 50, it says, he led them to Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. You see, Jesus came to earth as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he returned to heaven as a conqueror to be seated at the God the Father's right hand. And his last words to his disciples were words of blessing. Now, you probably are aware of the Old Testament priestly blessing. It comes from the book of Numbers, chapter 6, verse 24. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. You know, this blessing is of God's goodness towards his people. It's God's promise of what he will do that is good towards his people. And when Jesus blessed his disciples, he made promises to them. Say, well, what kind of promises would those be? Well, indeed, the fact that he would send the Spirit. But also, he gave them promises like John 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in me. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If, I were, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. You see, God makes promises to his people. He says, you will be my witnesses. You will witness for me, and one day you will be with me. He blessed them, and they were blessed. How did the disciples respond? Well, the disciples worshipped him after he left them. Verse 52, and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and, with continue, and were continually in the temple blessing God. You see, Jesus had parted from them in a physical sense, but he was still worthy of their worship. He would still be at work in them and through them by the working of the indwelling Holy Spirit. And one of the chief ways that you and I know that we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit 
is the fact that the Holy Spirit will lead us to witness for Christ and worship Christ. That's what we find the disciples doing. Jesus blessed them, and they praised the Lord in return. Christ's words, his witness, and his worship. Those are the concluding things that Christ wanted to be crystal clear in their minds. What we don't appreciate sometimes is the fact that the disciples through the, through the years and time with Jesus, they were really fuzzy about things. It's like they had come back from a summer break and sat back in their, in their school seats in math class, and they needed things to be sorted out for them. And Jesus did that so patiently as a shepherd in those appearances following his death and his resurrection. He made things plain so that his followers would know exactly what he desired of them. He gives them his word so that they'll understand that it's about him. He commissions them to be his witnesses. And his last words to them are words of blessing and words of promise. So as you and I go from day to day, we go forward understanding what this is all about, knowing what we should do, and confident of God's blessing and all of his promises to us. That's a good way to live life. Even when everyone around us says the times are uncertain. Father, we ask and pray that you will help us to trust you. Thank you for making things plain. Because our minds are so scatterbrained and our understandings are so um, just so fuzzy at times. And we worry about so many things that really aren't our concern. They're your concern. What happens tomorrow, that's your concern. What will happen because of all the things around us happening, that's your concern. You've made plain what our concern ought to be and what our hope ought to be, that you will come again and receive us to yourself, that where you are, there we would be also. And we praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.